When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? It's a good day, Jesse. We got a lot of great MCU content coming on Disney Plus very shortly. I'm very excited about new Star Wars stuff coming. You know, my fandom is just tickled right now. How are you, man? I'm doing very well, Chris. You are absolutely correct. Moon Knight is right around the corner and then Obi-Wan immediately after that, which is very exciting. Just going to open both those universes up in a lot of different ways, which is very exciting. But also MCP is in a really good spot because S.H.I.E.L.D. is about to come out. Oh my gosh. About to come out. Fury is about to come out, you know. S.H.I.E.L.D. looks so fun, man. I cannot wait to go against them. Yeah. Hopefully you guys listened to our last episode where we dug really deep into all these S.H.I.E.L.D. spoilers. And yeah, those are just our initial takes and we'll see how right or wrong we are over time. But like Chris, they just look so fun either way, which is very exciting. Yes. It looks like a very fun play style and reinvigorates some models that, uh, you know, maybe uh, fallen a little, little bit out of the meta's eye. And I think that is very cool. Oh, absolutely. To get all the Black Widows out there, to get more War Machines, more Buckies out there, you know, models we just don't see a lot of. Luckily, Tony has had a resurgence in yes, recent months, has. but before that, he was almost non-existent as well. So this is a very interesting roster, Chris, to bring a lot of these characters back into the limelight. But also, you know, we got to touch on it while we're here. Very exciting news. The Tom Mass just dropped that Mini Stravaganza 3 is coming in June. Oh, baby. So you guys know we're going to cover that in depth on the show like we always do. We're going to do these deep dives and all the reveals. You know, we're going to talk about our excitement. And it's going to be a great weekend, Chris, of all the type of stuff they give us, like painting streams, card reveal streams, miniature streams. The list goes on. And of course, this also includes Star Wars licenses. So I'm just, I'm counting down until June. I will be announcing my betting odds, my official odds on the announcements and big reveals for Mini Stravaganza 3 on the Twitter account so we can start placing our bets shortly. Right now, the Fantastic Four are the leaders in the clubhouse, folks. It's what you want, Chris. It's what you want. It's what I've been calling. It's what you've been calling. But until then, you know, we just got to wait and enjoy ourselves with the game right now. And there's so much in the game we're enjoying. You know, Chris, the league is still going. You're still playing tons of X-Force games. I'm playing tons yes. of Convocation games. I've even playing Convocation games in person on top of my league games when I can. You know, it's it's a great time. Well, to be specific, I've been playing Honey Badger games. <laughs> She's the star of your team. <laughs> she really is. No, it's actually Laura. Uh, yes, but I mean, they're one character in my mind at this point, but we're just going to have to do a little uh, a mini mini sode on just how awesome these two are. I can't wait till we get into X-Force, which is actually going to be not that far off and, you know, finally dig deep into these characters that we haven't got to talk oh, about yet. gosh, the X-Men is such a nightmare, lore-wise. <laughs> Always, yeah. And their strategies are getting more diverse by the day because... As we mentioned, Chris, recently, like they continue to grow in size on their affiliation lists, X-Force and X-Men, both gold and blue, and the nuance of their play styles and rosters 
just continues. It just continues. Well, it's very, very exciting to have an actual kind of X-verse unto itself in MCP. It's just right. all my wildest dreams about this game are starting to come true. Yeah, it's super exciting. Everybody loves the X-Men. It's a good general sweeping statement. <laughs> <laughs> As much as I want to talk more about the X-Men and our excitement, you know, you counting down the days till Fantastic Four, me counting down the days till Kurt Wagner comes to the game. These are important things. These are very important things. Very big Marvel pillars, you know, these things in my mind, at least. But, you know, we've got to talk about someone else today, and that's going to be us closing out our Spider-Foes series. Yes, this coming to a close. Hopefully we get to return to it sometime in the future if AMG gifts us with more Spider-Foes because there's so many great members of the Sinister Six and the Spider-Foes. But we're closing out today, Chris, with this leader of the Spider-Foes, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. So I think we just got to get into it, right? Peter Parker's number one nemesis. I think we do. Fury's Finest is supported by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy this show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution on the Patreon. The moment you join the Patreon, as long as your Discord is linked to your Patreon account, you will immediately be put in the Fury's Finest Discord. Of course, have access to things like our Fury's Finest Tabletop Simulator League, but also, more importantly, get to be part of the community and sharing ideas and hang out with really awesome people in our community. And on top of that, Chris, we have a secondary podcast feed for the Asgardian patrons and up where you and I do episodes that are just a second feed. Sometimes they're MCP, sometimes they're not, you know, sometimes they're Marvel, sometimes they're not. It's great. And we intend this year to basically just make that feed as good as we can make it and as fun as we can make it and reward those patrons of that tier. So that's kind of the whole spiel this week. We have a very, very special shout out to our patron of the week, Patrick R. Patrick, thank you so much, man. And seriously, we've thanked Patrick on the show before. We just have to thank Patrick again because Patrick is, of course, law talking guy in the Discord who runs our entire Secret Wars League. Don't dox him. Don't dox him. I'm just saying, you know, it's a double thank you. He's the man. I help him out in how I can on the League, Chris, but this is all his thing. And, you know, it's awesome that his week came around for the thank you. So thank you again, Patrick. But of course, Chris, we cannot do this show without the Avenger producers, Zach Attack, Rusty, and Dylan. Thank you, Avengers. Thanks, guys. All right, Chris, let's get over to lore because we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about the iconic Green Goblin. Iconic he is. Norman Osborn, to be specific, is who we're going to focus on today. There have been a few other Green Goblins, and we're going to let them have their day in the sun at a later time. There have been Red Goblin. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> uh, today, it's just Norman, the original Goblin. The Green Goblin debuts in comic books in The Amazing Spider-Man number 14 which released in April of 1964. That is right, Goblin has been around for a very long time. Now, the identity of the Green Goblin was not known for a few months and was also kind of a sticking point between Spider-Man creative team, which was Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Ditko did not want the Green Goblin to be Norman Osborn. He felt that it was extremely, um, very unlikely, you know, and it was, but Stanley having a flair for the dramatic and storytelling and everything else. I'm not advocating one was right here or not, even though my language kind of seems that I am, but I'm not. Stanley wanted it to be Norman Osborn, Peter Parker's best friend's father. Steve Ditko would end up leaving The Amazing Spider-Man on issue 38, which is one issue before Norman Osborn is revealed to be the Green Goblin and the father of Harry Osborn. So a uh, pretty interesting kind of look behind the scenes and the formation of this character. He kind of broke up a powerful duo in a way before ever really becoming uh, huge in the comics. Just kind of interesting stuff, but let's actually talk about Norman himself. Norman was born in New Haven, Connecticut, the son of a wealthy industrialist by the name of Amberson Osborne. Yes, Amberson, not Anderson. Amberson was, of course, brilliant, but also a very lousy alcoholic father. And this uh, traumatic upbringing led to Norman 
skewing kind of towards the criminal side of things. His backstory as the Goblin is, after rebuilding his family's fortune and forming Oscorp, he forced his business partner out by not necessarily framing him, but getting the law involved in kind of skimming off the top of the company, which was something they both did. Uh, it was kind of known. After forcing his partner Mendelstrom out, Norman discovered uh, Mendel's you know, secret formulas, things like that. Of course, Mendel has been thrown in jail at this point. So everything he's been working on is now an asset of the company. And Osborne is poking around and he finds this vial of green bubbling liquid and he starts messing around with it and yada yada it explodes and he's now the green goblin so as the green goblin he has this is where we're going to get into superpowers guys that was an excellent excellent transition by me my goodness he has enhanced speed enhanced reflexes enhanced strength a minor healing factor He's smarter. He just, I mean, he's in all ways, just kind of an all-around superhuman as the Green Goblin, though the price for all of this is kind of his sanity. He becomes Mm -hmm. just absolutely obsessed at first with becoming the king of the criminal underworld and and literally running a a worldwide criminal empire, and that's what gets him obsessed with Spider-Man. Taking out Spider-Man would be the best way to get the heads of the criminal underworld and 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 everyone to take him seriously to take notice kind of a flawed plan because he's super rich and in charge of a chemical company so i would argue that he's probably already evil in the in the criminal underworld but that's a different topic so before we fully dive into his history i do want to touch on of course the goblin glider he's got his green costume with bulletproof chain mail he's got a gas filter in his mask to keep him safe from his own gases that he uses uh, in his pumpkin bombs, these all kinds of gases and whatnot. He's got the razor-edged bat-shaped boomerangs, as well as the gloves of the goblin, which were these really cool kind of electro gloves that could discharge, I think it's like 10,000 volts or something, you know, just whenever he wanted. I think those are pretty cool. So let's really dive into his history. We've established his powers. We've established most of his gadgets. His gadgets are very iconic. I don't want to spend too much time on him as we are pressed for time in this episode as it is. The glider is the main one, right? I it's mean, always the glider. Yeah. Because what is Green Goblin? It's his glider. It's his pumpkin bombs. Just that green suit, that green chainmail suit. That's true. He really looks like, a, I mean... Of course, he looks like a goblin in the in the comics because they can draw him. However, it's just it's just very mm-hmm. cool how yeah. Norman is under there, but is a different, completely different character. Well, and something you mentioned, Chris, in our Mysterio episode, which I think is very applicable to Green Goblin. Of course, having access to Oscorp weaponry and all this sort of stuff, and the glider being written differently by different writers. I mean, right. sometimes. Norman and Oscorp recently put blades in the glider or the ammunition, the machine guns have been replenished, for instance. And it's just whatever the rider needs, the, the glider can actually achieve a lot of that on top of giving him flight and the ability to ram people with just the sheer force of the the thing. And then on top of that, it's got, oh, machine guns. It's got bombs. It's got blades. Oh, yeah, it's, it's got, got whatever, whatever you need. Yeah. The plot glider. It's great. Yeah. Whatever you need. So Norman has decided he's going to become the leader of of a just massive criminal empire. He's going to run the entire criminal underworld. So how is he going to go after Spider-Man? Well, it's kind of a kind of a hokey kind that's of, a very 60s kind of story, but it's fun and and pretty smart. He decides he's going to film a movie with Spider-Man about Spider-Man. And so he's just one of the costumed, you know, stunt people in the in the movie until he legitimately attacks spider-man during filming or whatever and it's pretty cool very goblin yeah it's very goblin but of course spider-man's gonna win and you know that's gonna keep happening and interestingly enough uh, at the end of this first this first arc it's going to see norman osborne in the hospital with selective amnesia about he's just forgotten everything about the character and that's once again very very early marvel you know 60s 70s storytelling is it's just throw it out there write it out of the story and see how the fans react do the fans want it back are we getting a lot of mail and things in the letter section about getting the green goblin back you know how well was it received 
that information took longer to get around than it does now. So they wrote it, wrote it where Goblin would have to come back, and he doesn't really come back for a while. But when he does, he's going to make one of the biggest impacts in all of comic book history. With the Green Goblin's return, of course, is going to bring about the death of Gwen Stacy. And this, this single issue, the night that Gwen Stacy died, honestly changes comic books forever. This is the first time a character, a superhero, is going to lose their main love interest in a permanent way and in a way that could be their fault. I mean, clearly it's not. If you're not familiar with the story, maybe some of the youngsters out there, Goblin throws Gwen Stacy, Peter's, you know, kind of first love interest, first girlfriend, off the Brooklyn Bridge. And Peter, of course, is going to save her. So he shoots that web line, but he doesn't, I don't know exactly, but in the reacting snapback, you know, after the web comes taut and, and Gwen Stacy comes to a stop, it will break Gwen Stacy's neck. And this will forever change Peter to this day. This really is the final piece of the puzzle of Peter Parker becoming the amazing Spider-Man in my eyes. This is when Mm -hmm. he becomes the fully formed character that we think of now. But this is when he really learns that he, he cannot really just always wing it when there are civilians around that this is, is it is extremely dangerous and not everyone has these incredible spider powers that he has. And he has to be hyper focused when it comes to saving just, you know, mortal human beings and this of course would also lead to parker and osborne just being forever ever enemies you know of course yeah something i also really like about this story chris is you know the nature in which gwen dies which is of course explored in movies later but it is so powerful because peter does the thing he does the web thing and catches her right he does the thing he always does with civilians he does yeah and and his family members and aunt may whoever it is uh, flavor of the week right And this time, real-world implications are imposed on that. Physics and gravity and all sorts of elements, and she doesn't make it. It's almost worse that she dies that way, even though he's not responsible, like you said, other than her just falling to her death without him even weblining at all, right? But there's something about that webline and the way it's executed in the story. It is just incredibly profound and tragic and a pivotal pillar of Peter's story. And of course, the, the Green Goblin story, cementing him in comic book history, he was already cemented before this. Like you said, Chris, he had a really good run in the 60s as this gadget character, you know, that's insane. But this kind of cements fully, like you said, the rivalry, which continues today all the way through line to our game that we love and do this show on Marvel Christ Protocol with the arch nemesis mechanic of Green Goblin and Peter Parker. Exactly. It goes all the way to today. It does absolutely go all the way through today. And, And not only that, legitimately, you would not have Iris West being killed by reverse flash and sparking mm-hmm. just, you know, the, sp- the flash being the engine that drives the DC universe. You would not have gotten Dark Knight Returns. And, you know, this this list goes on and on about how influential just just these these three stories are and how many comics have just been absolutely influenced and shaped by these just fantastic stories and seminal works from the eighties and, and just that their point of origin is the night that Gwen Stacy died, just because that broke all the rules to that point about how real comics could get. And, you know, this is not the first time Spider-Man has broken those rules. I think this was the first time I, uh, I should say it's not the only time it's kind of got a history of that. And we've talked about it uh, in a couple of other episodes as well, but I don't know. It's, I, it's, it's a very big deal and it really does kind of cement the goblin as one of the top Marvel villains in my mind, at least. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you said 80s, Chris. I mean, this was just the 70s. That's what's crazy. It was the early 70s. Oh, my fault. Yes, the yes. Mid. Yeah, approaching yeah. the mid. So, I mean, just put yourselves in those shoes. Like, you're right. You and I talk about a lot on the show, the eras of Marvel. And of course, we wouldn't have that mid 80s to mid 90s era, right? That we would talk about so much, right? And that, that 10, 15 year gap absolutely. of time of all the absolutely. gothic influenced dark stuff that we love so much none of that would have happened without this right and exactly it's crazy this came out in 73 right like in the summer of 73 it's just jerry conway wrote this by the way too thank you thank you for that but yeah it's it's just 
it's awesome. And I love that it's something that it's something that continually happens in the spider, you know, in the spider family and and in amazing Spider-Man kind of mostly, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. just it's just a very, very cool thing. And there's gonna be one more story I want to touch on. Of course, I'm going to pass over Norman Osborne's non-goblin things. So, you know, Dark Rain when he puts together the Thunderbolts, ends up running Shield and converting it to hammer all that stuff is very cool very worth reading just outside of our purview for the day you're saying he's not the goblin he's just exactly that's norman villain human norman and i know that norman and the goblin are kind of the same person different they're they're very kind of two-facey in that Mm way you know Uh, two two sides of the same coin but you know if he's not in the suit we're not we're not going to talk about it (laughs) the goblin king is an Excellent, excellent story, I think. It's going to end up with uh, Ben Uric, you know, becoming the Goblin King and, and, you know, another in the long line of goblins all spawned by Norman, of course. But it's very cool and it really goes to illustrate one of Norman Osborn's strengths, not the Goblin's strengths, but Norman's. And that's putting together teams and building organizations it really highlights that aspect of the character while he's in the goblin persona it's uh, very very much worth the read and it's going to see norman putting together his big crime syndicate basically as the goblin and he's going to have a bunch of goblins he's going to have a whole a whole crew of people in goblin armor with uh, varied degrees of powers and things and it's just it's very worth the read I would highly recommend it. But folks, we have a lot to get to today. That's where we're going to end our kind of lore on Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. Uh, We have kind of established his early life. We've established how he came into the comics, his, his, the driving force behind him. And we've touched on some of the wonderful, uh, wonderful like paradigms he broke in comics and some of the things he, he started as a character. So once again, one of my top Marvel villains. I guess, Jesse, we should talk about him on the big screen. He's a force on the big screen. That's right. So, you know, it would not be chance, Chris, that we would mention all these things that Goblin did for the comic universe. And now we're about to mention how much he did for the Marvel movie universe, essentially, because he was one of the first villains in all of Marvel. And that, of course, is in the Raimi trilogy. Spider-Man number one, where Norman takes center stage, gets the full fleshing out. There's no other villains. You know, that's the way to go, Marvel. I love it every time. Focus on one villain. Played by Willem Dafoe. I mean, the man is a master at his craft. I mean, arguably, probably one of the best actors we've ever talked about on this entire show. And we're almost 100 episodes in. Yeah, I don't don't think we're going to get Daniel Day-Lewis in an MCU film, so... (laughs) So Willem Dafoe might not be usurped for a long time, but yeah, it's just one of those things. He gives this character his all, and of course he returns in Spider-Man No Way Home. And we won't get into spoilers there, but specifically in the original Spider-Man films, I mean, he delivers on the Norman Osborn and the Goblin, and more, most importantly, he does the shattered schizophrenic mind really well. And in fact, he has a lot of conversations with himself through the mirror, to the mask. There's a lot of things, right? Talking about the duality of his personality. Oh, yeah. You know, he is a visceral, ferocious being when he's actually the Goblin, too. And they, they even, they nail that once again in No Way Home. Yeah, he has no regard for human life. When he becomes the Red Goblin and bonds with, with the Carnage symbiote, which we touched on. Right. It's, it's a wild man, thing. Man, there's, that's a pretty good pairing of your supervillain super team. You know, because Cletus Cassidy's a nobody without the Carnage symbiote. But, you know, you put the Goblin and the Car- Carnage, yeah, that's, they're very terrifying. much, uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, no regard for human life at all. You know, he is a really dynamic character and, I'm so so glad that they got such a dynamic and talented actor to cover him, Chris, because this is one of those characters that too far one direction can either not do the character enough justice or can be too cheesy. You know, Defoe can just nail that. He can nail that sort of manic state that the goblins in sometimes or absolutely my favorite defoe performances of this character are when he's genuinely norman osborne confused lost memory wiped doesn't know where he is because he's switched out of the goblin right and you know he's just 
a scared man, you know? There's also Norman Osborn, the businessman slash scientist, which we see a lot more of in the Rami films, of course. Yeah, all the aspects of the character he nails, and it's great. I'm so happy he returned for No Way Home. I think it was kind of obviously a huge moment, you know, in movie history for him to come back and reprise that character and do it so well. Excellent job. I mean, that yeah. No Way Home was just a just a fantastic film, just all the way around. It's incredible. And I'm not diving into No Way Home because Chris and I actually deep dive into the way they do Goblin and No Way Home in our No Way Home episode. So if you haven't listened to that, just go back and listen to that because we dive really deep on that. I mean, even the subtle changes they did, Chris, with the costume and stuff, I just really mm-hmm. loved. Fit the character so well and it also paid homage to the original suit as well. So it's nice middle ground of both. But we've got to move on because today we're talking about one of the most complex characters in this game because his card's different on both sides, Chris. But before we get to that, and before we get to strategy, closing out this segment like we always do, what is your comic book recommendation? Well, absolutely read The Night That Gwen Stacy Died. It's it's from the early 70s, so is it, a bit, it is a bit dated in the way of art and stuff, Chris, but the writing is there. And like you said, it is such a pivotal moment in pop culture. If you are interested in this, it is definitely worth reading. And, you know, The Death of Gwen Stacy is something they, they pursue in the future, Chris, multiple universes over. Like, for instance, Carnage oh, yeah. does it in the Ultimate Universe, and it's a pivoting point for Peter in the Ultimate Universe. Well, if you want to read these issues, it is uh, The Amazing Spider-Man numbers 121 and 122. Just two issues, yep. And then Goblin Nation is going to be my other recommendation it is going to be in superior spider-man number 10 is when it starts may of 2013 okay very good well chris we got to dive into strategy today because this character is a lot and it's gonna be an exciting strategy so let's just get into it all right chris we're gonna do this a little bit different i'm gonna try to cover all of his stats on both sides to paint this picture well to ourselves and the listener both so his name is green goblin his alter ego is norman osborn on his healthy side his defenses are four physical three energy three mystic and he has a stamina of seven and a threat cost of four height of three and a move of medium with a medium-sized base once again these spider foes doing lots of movement chris because yes it's basically long movement i absolutely adore his movement when you play him against me mm-hmm. he's just everywhere you need him to be all the time that's also a lot to do with you i understand but he has flight too chris we're spoil we're spoiling it but i mean He's good. good. So before we do our takes on his stats, let's just mention seven stamina. Defenses are four, three, three. Very exceptional. Let's go to his injured side. His stamina goes down to five. So he has a total of 12, very average for models within this purview, but his defenses change. His physical goes down to three. His energy remains at three. So now we're at three, three, and his mystic goes up from three to five. He can go toe to toe with a wizard because he is just insane on this side. Quite literally, he's just lost it. He's gone fully full berserk and he's still a medium move. So, I mean, this is pretty cool. Just stat wise, Chris, we know things are going to change on his card dynamically when we talk about this character, but just... Just the stats alone, I mean, that's very unusual for MCP. We get a unique opportunity right here just to talk about this. Uh, the first time it happened, of course, is uh, Tony Stark sure. from the core box, of course. But Getting that Unibeam on the back. This is the culmination of that, that kind of line, isn't it, Green Goblin? You and I talk about all the time, Chris. I think you and I did this in our After Dark with X-Force, where it's like Akani-san on Cable's injured side mm-hmm. is more effective than on his healthy side, but he still has Akani-san on both sides, right? Goblin's not even that. It's like things change around, prices change, superpowers yeah. go away, some appear. You know, there's a lot. Let's just dive in. Let's dive in here. Yeah, let's dive in. Healthy side attacks. Pumpkin bombs is going to be your first attack. It is a physical attack. Range four, strength five, power cost of zero. After the attack is resolved, Green Goblin will gain power equal to the damage dealt. Before choosing a target, Green Goblin chooses whether the attack is physical or energy. And on a wild, you will trigger Bag of Tricks. Before damage is dealt, the enemy character gains one of the following special conditions. Bleed, poison, or incinerate. You know, 
incinerate always. Thank you. <laughs> Knight of the Goblin is his next attack. It is a physical attack. Range three, strength of seven, power cost of four. Before choosing a target, Green Goblin chooses whether the attack is physical or energy. If this attack deals damage, after this attack is resolved, the target character gains the poison and incinerate special conditions. Very cool i love automatic special conditions yeah dealing damage to give auto- automatic special conditions is a lot easier than a wild trigger even though wilds are happening more frequently with seven dice but yeah i mean you gotta get damage through which is still hard i guess but sometimes two conditions chris i mean very cool let's talk about this pumpkin bomb strike attack it's range four on a medium-sized base he's got a lot of range on his attack and i love the theme and the play style of him choosing his pumpkin bombs if they're going to be physical or energy he's basically pulling out of his bag the appropriate one for the situation and then on top of that like you mentioned chris you're giving out conditions so if if you're double attacking people maybe you give them incinerate with that first attack and then you give him poison or bleed with the second attack very effective very effective he's stacking conditions on people we love that and i mean look this is a five dice four range that's a good builder yeah that's exactly what it is so you know it's so good chris that we're covering goblin after his errata right because before his errata i played this character so much and his biggest weakness on this side was that his pumpkin bombs attack was range for four dice and now it's range for mm-hmm. five dice they gave him a slight nudge and we've talked about it on this show because math and crits there is a big difference between four dice and five dice it's more than just a dice mathematically yeah it's a lot and yeah i Love that they errated this character, and I think that was an excellent change, and I just wanted to uh, point out, even on his healthy side, that that's a good builder. Absolutely, Chris. So before we move on to his superpowers, I'm just going to talk about these two attacks on his injured side to keep your head in this mindset while we're here. So on his injured side... Pumpkin's Bombs is still range four. It's still the exact same attack where you choose whether it's energy or physical, and then you get to give conditions if you get the wild of your choice. But the strike goes up from five strength, Chris, to six strength. I mean, Dormammu's strike is six strength. Now, of course, Dormammu's is higher because he takes skulls and all these sorts of things. But still, what I'm saying is, is when you start seeing numbers like six in the game or higher for strikes, that's very high. That's a lot of dice for an attack that is building power it's not only like not costing anything but you're gaining power on these six dice man that's a lot it is and furthering this powerful uptick on his injured side knight of the goblin it's still seven dice at range three all the same other same conditions are there choose whether it's energy or physical and you know give them poison incinerate if you'll deal damage but chris it costs one less power it costs three on this side instead of four So it's actually happening a lot on this side and not happening a lot on the front side. And I do like that sort of play style and sort of idea. It's not the only thing that's going to change between this healthy and and injured side, but I also love what's going on here. He has lost health. He has lost some defenses. I mean, gained mystic defense, but what's happening, like Jesse said earlier, he is just losing it here. He is... Just if I'm not going to win, we are all going down mode. And he is, he does not <laughs> mind going down with the ship. Yeah, it's very cool. It's a very cool play style. And it presents a lot of interesting counterplay, too. Absolutely. So we talked about his different attacks on the front and on the back. I think it's time, Chris, to move on to his superpower. So starting with his first superpower, which is his affiliation leadership that's right he's the leader of the spider foes oscorp weaponry once per turn while an allied character is attacking during the modify opponent's dice step it may reroll one of the opposing defense size so what this means chris is if you double attack in a turn you got to make sure to choose the right attack that you want to reroll a dice you're going to do it on one attack because it's once per turn after all the modify steps have happened so after both players have blown up crits after both players have modified their dice the last, last, last step before the attack is resolved and damage is dealt is this little window of you can modify your opponent's defense dice. So you have a shield, you have a crit or a wild that I want you to have on defense. I choose that dice, re-roll it. You might roll into blank and then my damage is getting through. So you're going to know what your attack dice are looking like before you re-roll their defense dice. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes absolute sense. And they can't modify it or anything after that. It's right. It's a very tiny window and it is the end of the process, which is very nice. I'll state the obvious with this, Chris. I mean, it's free and 
it really helps the spider foes with their strikes. Because we've talked about on the show a lot, the spider foes have lower dice strikes outside of Goblin. If you can kind of guarantee an extra damage is getting through and it's on a strike, that might be the damage that gets you the power that you need to do Lizard's Throw, for instance, right? Or it could just be the little bit of power to give you enough power to maybe interact with that objective that you didn't have, right? Because you're like, oh, Chris has two defense, I have two attacks, Chris reroll one of those defense dice, and then I got that one damage through on my strike, and now I have a power. I can't tell you how many times X-23 goes down to one health and then just heals back up to full whatever side she's on this could be the difference that this is her getting flipped from healthy to injured or her just getting taken out of the game it's an excellent excellent leadership ability because she has one reroll on her attacks and defense dice right chris this would be after her one right. reroll on defense which is very powerful i mean this would even happen after a zemo reroll and this sort of thing which are very powerful things but this isn't supposed to be a big swing this is supposed to be a calculated decision You know, this is some bombastic, like crazy thing. It's just, you see what the dice are. You make a calculated decision very frequently in my experience, Chris, because it's just how dice are. Sometimes they just roll right back into that block, you know, but you tried, you know, you tried and that was the right decision at the time, you know, but you can't predict the dice. And you also know in this game, as we all know, the dice favor attacking more than defending. So the chances that they re-roll back into a block are slightly less, you know? So that's on your side. And I think it's very cool leadership for this attacking team. But we got to talk about Goblin's first superpower, which is an active superpower called Hit and Run. It costs two action. So he has to take an action to do this. Goblin immediately makes an attack action followed by a move action. This superpower can be used only once per turn. This is what you were alluding to in the intro, Chris, the way I use Goblin a lot. Yeah, I try to hit and run as much as possible because we just talked about how much movement he has innately. And hit and run obviously gives you more movement because it gives you a move and an attack built into one action. You're kind of netting, you're netting actions. Hit and run is one of my favorite just kind of generic abilities. It's, you know, it's an ability. It's not, it's technically a superpower, but you know, it's very good. I love using it on Cyclops and with Goblin's range for his really good strike on his healthy side. This hit and run is, it's really good. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's five dice, then he's out of there. You're absolutely right. I mean, five dice is good, and then he gets somewhere safe, or he gets somewhere aggressive, right? Plants his feet. Bingo. But also, like, think about a lot of the time with Goblin, you can move. So it's like a medium base with a medium move and a place, and then you hit and run and do it again, basically. Like, he has just flown across yes. the map, right? And gotten where he wants to be or gotten to safety. So it's it's very easy to play him either way, where you start your turn with a move, and then you hit and run and either go back safely or go forward aggressively. Makes a lot of sense, and he's got a lot of movement. His next superpower is a very complex one. It's a reactive superpower called Trick or Treat, appropriately named, and the power cost is three. When an enemy character ends in advance or is placed within range four of Goblin, Goblin may use the superpower. Choose an interactive terrain feature of size three or less within range two of the enemy character that was advanced or placed. So after the enemy character is advanced or placed, choose a terrain within two of them. What's wild is they have to be range four of Goblin, so there's a lot to keep up with here. Destroy that piece of terrain. The enemy character suffers a collision as if the terrain feature had collided with it. So essentially, he's blowing up a building with a bomb, and it's being Magneto thrown into them. He's collapsing a building on them. Yes. It's it's nice. There's a lot of triggers for this particular power, but it's awesome. It is awesome. Honestly. Yeah. It's incredible. Personally, I love to move enemy models with Mysterio, mm-hmm. trigger Goblin's Trick or Treat, and then trigger Mysterio's tricks and traps. And that's just a lot of dice that they that are not based off of a dice roll, you know, that they have to basically dodge in a weird way it's auto damage potentially so there's a lot of cool things going on there chris but i mean thematically this is very cool but you're seeing why i was mentioning earlier you might not be doing night of the goblin hardly at all on this front side because i think 70 percent of your power is gonna be for hit and run yeah and the last like 30 percent is those niche trick-or-treat moments keeping trick-or-treat open just in case yeah that's kind of it so and and you know that night of the goblin on the back's one of the better spenders of the game for the price. So you're kind of waiting for that too, I think. But Hidden Run's just too powerful, honestly, to get him more Absolutely. used to be. So we have one more thing we have to touch on here, uh, one more power, and that's Arch Nemesis Peter Parker. When attacking Peter Parker, Green Goblin may modify or reroll skull results 
and may re-roll any number of attack dice. At the start of Green Goblin's activation, if there is a non-dazed enemy Peter Parker within range 3 of Green Goblin, Green Goblin's first action must be an attack action targeting that Peter Parker, if possible. So this is interesting counterplay. This is absolutely interesting lore making it into the game. Excellent game design to really make this character feel like it is actually Green Goblin. Mm -hmm. I love it when they do Arch Nemesis. I just absolutely do. I do too, Chris. And we've talked about before, obviously, this is incredibly powerful to potentially blow up the arch nemesis target, but also inadvertently, it's a it's a really cool control against these characters exactly. who are obsessed with their arch nemesis targets. It is an absolute double edged sword on every character that has it, and I just excellent game design in my mind. Yeah, you could almost position Amazing Spider Man, for instance, in a position where he'll have to be attacked by Goblin, and it could almost be a taunt. You know, if you're worried about, right. for instance, Green Goblin double attacking Gwen, well, you know that Gwen's only being attacked once maximum because Goblin has to attack Peter first, right? Hasn't he done enough to that poor girl? Exactly. Closing out his card on the healthy side, Chris, I mean, he does have one more innate power in his flight, and we mentioned it before. No terrain is going to cause him issues with this medium base, medium move, just like Lizard. And Lizard's so fast, we talked about it with the wall crawler. Those characters are getting where they want, and so is Carnage. It's just the best innate ability, wall crawler and flight. I just absolutely absolutely adore it all the time all right so jesse now it's time for you to take us on a tour of my worst nightmare a flipped green goblin in the hands of jesse okay i'm gonna cover his innate first because this gives us a big idea how this backside works he gains a new innate superpower called unstable psyche this character cannot interact with or hold objective tokens okay big downside but during the power phase roll five dice for each crit wild and hit rolled goblin gains one power so chris we know when you roll five dice the chances of you getting like 3.5 or so are just right on the money he's probably getting three or four power a turn potentially and on top of the power phase for nothing yeah on top of the power phase which is one on top of pumpkin bombs getting better <laughs> so pumpkin bombs is now six so you see why we're going to Knight of the Goblin a lot. But we did talk about his physical defense going down one from four to three, his energy remaining at three, and his mystic defense going up two. He nets two on the mystic up to five. Very cool. But Chris, he gains a new superpower. That's incredible. It's an active superpower called Glider Ram. This is the Goblin, right? <laughs> it's so good, man. Costs three power. It's a lot, right? sort of not really not on this side <laughs> not for him well not to mention that like this is you had to get flipped mm -hmm. to get here so there's a, a very high probability that if you got flipped with a spike you know if there was a big r attack roll that flipped him yes you know you haven't had a chance to spend any of that power You're probably a 10 power that, that just came in you're probably at eight or ten power yes that's where i was going because yeah. you're saying you got flipped on top of the psyche on top of the power phase bingo there's just so many things right glider ram active power goblin is thrown medium so it's just his full movement insane goblin does not suffer damage if he collides with another character or terrain feature this superpower can be used only once per turn cost three power now, what's cool about this, Chris, is this is a free movement on its worst day. Yep. Which is insane, right? Because now he can like double action after he's done this. But really, we know the power of this because we've done a Black Panther episode. We've talked about how powerful Pounce is with a size <laughs> two character. And Goblin is a size three character. It's gross, man. That's four damage coming in at you for a dodge save. I mean, do you want to brace for impact it? Great. That was a great use of Brace for Impact, but he's going to do it again <laughs> if he, if he yeah, can get around next to turn. it. Yeah, next turn. If he's not taken off the board before his next activation, he's going to do it again. And that's the interesting part about him, right, Chris? We got to talk about this. So he stops contesting objectives, which is a huge downside, but you cannot ignore him. He's such a damage threat. Yeah. He can do so much damage in one activation, and he's only got five health on right. this side. So. The thought is, and of course, my X-Force is coming through here. Mm -hmm. Five health. Okay. Throw Honey Badger at him and just take him out. Yeah. If you can. The irony is like he just one shots Honey Badger, right? He one shots her. Just just gone. We just talked about Knight of the Goblin going down to three, right? This is He's insane. probably going to one shot Laura too. Let's be honest. Like, Because you're going to Knight of the Goblin, right? And 
Right. If you deal one damage or more, which you probably will with seven dice, you're giving them auto poison and poison. incinerate. Auto incinerate. But the incinerate is the auto part that just kills. And now Absolutely if, destroys. if you've got a throw, throw yourself into them, maybe kill them. And that's what's crazy, Chris. He loses hit and run on the side, which is which is a detriment. Mm-hmm. But it's not a detriment. The point in the game, presumably, he's being flipped, which is at least round two or further, right? I mean, round two would be a big flip if he got flipped, or which he does. What I'm saying is, yeah. if it's mid or late game, the hit and run zone is being much of an issue, especially now that he has Glider Ram, which is his own version of hit and run. That's kind of more effective, <laughs> you know? Because it's a free move without taking an action, and it's also a throw of his own body. Now, Sometimes you can get too fixated on killing people with the glider ram and like, say you glider ram into them and barely move at all. And then somehow you, they roll amazing, right? And you don't defeat them. That feels bad. Cause now you're like, okay, does goblin try to double tap them or does he leave and go somewhere else? You know, there's a lot of decision points and he is not an easy character to play on this side, Chris. He's not an easy character to play on the front side. Like he's extremely complex. You and I have talked about it many times on our show, this character, he's come up many times because I've played him a lot. You played him right. against him a lot. You and I have thrown around the, f- the phrase that I think I still hang on to. Goblin is one of those characters, he's a slightly underperforming four on the front, but he's yes. basically a five or higher on the back in the hands of a super seasoned player with this character. And that's his design intention. I really think it is. That he's like kind of an underwhelming four on the front with a good leadership. And then on the back, he's like a 4.5 in a new player's hand, and he's like a five in an experienced player's hand. And I think that that is kind of the whole... That is the whole drawback for Spider-Foes mm. as a group. He's the leader. Yep. He costs four. You Let's start there. You want to play him. Yeah. You want to play him. You have to take him. So you've got to get good at Green Goblin because- That's true. That is your leader and that is also four threat in your team taken up. You know, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to get production out of your four threats or you're going to have a bad game. He's tough, man. And him being tough, I think really- makes the whole team tough because the team revolves around him perfectly said chris you're absolutely right and you know we've talked about before the four and five threat character tax in this game or even higher someone like she hulk right who's six yeah is very real like you need to know how to use those leaders as best as you can because quite simply a three threat leader if you make some mistakes as long as they're staying alive they're netting you the leadership and they're only three threat right and you can do more things with list building potentially that's why star lord's good that's why sam is good that's why storm is good that's why storm is good that's why miles is good right and you've got to get your value out of green goblin but we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, Chris, he comes with a couple cards. One of them I'm going to talk about is not actually a Spider Foes or Green Goblin card, but it comes with him. And I think it comes with him for a reason. And his face is on the card. It's called Blind Obsession. Yeah. It's one of my favorite cards. It has almost always made my 10 every single time I've played this game up until Convocation. So that's saying something. So this is a very long wall of text. It's called Blind Obsession. It's unaffiliated and reactive, so you can play it to any team. At the start of the activation phase, any character may spend three to play this card. The character that paid for this card gains the Obsession token. Choose an enemy character. While the, the character that played this card has an Obsession token, it adds two dice to its attack rolls while targeting the chosen enemy character. While the character with the Obsession token rolls defense dice, if the chosen enemy character is attacking, add two dice to the defense roll. If it is not the chosen character attacking the obsessed character, remove two dice from your defense roll. The character that played this card loses the Obsession token when the chosen enemy character is KO'd. This is a hard card to play, Chris, right. You know, it's it's got a big upside and a big downside, but it fits Goblin quite well, actually. It is devastating when it gets deployed on a on a flank when you're in a one-on-one. That's it's the goal. It's just absolutely, absolutely devastating. So as the opposing player, you've got to know that, that that card is there and you have to have a second, you know, maybe send two low threats against, you know, the flank. I don't know. I don't know. That's for you to, for you to decide. But Blind Obsession is a very good card. It has ruined my day more than once. Also, Chris, let's mention how hard it is to play because you don't play during your turn. You play it during the start of activation phase. So after the power phase is over, you play this. And that's even if the other player has priority or what. It doesn't matter. You can play it then. So you usually want to play it on turns you have priority. I actually use it a lot, Chris, on priority turns just to give myself a huge buffed up attack for that turn, you know? I mean, give myself two more dice on my attacks. Like, say I give it to Goblin who's on a flank. 
and I'm going to go with him immediately, right? He might even KO the character and the obsession token is just gone. So there's no negatives right. to it. But also, like you said, very effective on a flank. Say someone like Lizard's on a flank by himself fighting another three threat. Put on Lizard and say it's the enemy's turn. You're not afraid because Lizard has two more defense dice, you know, against that person on the flank. Exactly. And also you're asking questions of your opponent like, it's almost like a taunt of sorts too, because you're like, do you want to come deal more damage to Lizard because he'll have less dice against the rest of your team? It asks a lot of questions, which I really like, but it's very strong with Goblin in the Spider-Foes team. So we got to mention it. And we are kind of diving deep into Spider-Foes now, Chris, because this is the leader and we are closing out their affiliation. And with that comes a couple cards. So the first card is Neogenic Recombinator. It's Spider-Foes and active. So you have to be a Spider-Foes affiliate to play this. Two allied Spider-Foe characters within three of each other may play this card. Doesn't cost anything. Super cool. One of the characters that played this card may suffer up to three damage. Now remove damage from the other character that played this card equal to the damage suffered so i think there's a reason that this card gets mentioned with goblin today of course it's very good and it's excellent on helping to get him flipped when you want him flipped right after he's already gone heals are always great it's yeah this this is one of those uh the drawback is actually a boon cards in on you know when playing it on goblin yeah and it's one of those cards the community hasn't quite cracked because the spider foes have so many cool named cards. Chris, we've done them so far on yes. the show. We've talked about the Grand Illusion. We've talked about Craven's hunting cards. We've talked about Monkey Brain on Lizard. So I think this card just gets forgotten about because those cards and the next card we're about to talk about come up so often. But I want to see people crack this card because it's really fun and the theme is neat. It's very Oscorp. Yeah, I think it's very cool. But Chris, closing out our spider foes cards, we have my favorite Spider-Foes card. And the last card of the Spider-Foes we haven't talked about on the series yet, Sinister Traps. It's Spider-Foes and Reactive. So once again, you have to be a Spider-Foes team to even play this card. Any allied character may play this card during the first power phase. Choose an objective token. The first time a character ends its movement within range two of that objective token, not range one to interact, range two, roll five dice. The moving character suffers one damage for each crit, wild and hit result on the roll if the character suffered damage it is pushed short the character's opponent resolves that push so you as the spider foes player resolve the push in the direction you want this card is so annoying <laughs> it's so good yes it's extremely good but to be able to score you have to eat that trap that's true with somebody with somebody somebody's got to eat it and yeah it's just it's very frustrating well, and I love that it's like, it's damage, it's control, it's, it's the turrets. Yeah, the movement's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot. And like like you mentioned, Chris, like I think this card might as well be stapled to Goblin's leadership. It's one of those things like, if you're playing with a map with more than a couple secures and more than like one extract, right? Like you're just playing this card every time. Absolutely. Like, oh, we're playing Hammers and Infinity Formula? Okay. <laughs> Where do I, I want to choose? It's all over. <laughs> oh, we're playing Spider yeah. Infected and, you know, some another D shape. Yeah. Spider Portals. Okay. There is nine points on the map I can choose from to put this on, you know? And I love it. Yeah. And like, you don't always necessarily, Chris, have to put it on, like, say, the hammer closest to your opponent. Sometimes you can put it on a flank, like we've talked about, right? Just to d deter that's, them for a couple turns. I think that's my favorite spot is to put it on a flank to hopefully get that that push trigger so that you have an extra turn to clean up anything you need to anywhere else on the board and get kind of contest that objective at your leisure, as it were. Absolutely, Chris. And let's state the obvious while we're here. This is hits, crits, and wilds, so this can hit all five dice. It just days mm. a three-threat or two-threat character, round one. Yep. What's funny, Chris, is you have one of the hardest counters in the game to this now in your list. Her name is Laura Kenny. I know. Say Laura takes two or three damage from this. I mean... No problem. You just eat it on her, right? And he just healing not factor. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. She still could take five and just be gone. Very unlikely, though. Very unlikely. You're correct that she is a good counter to this, but if you're picking the proper trap, you're going to separate her from the pack. I hope. Which is what you're trying to do, because I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. Laura Kinney, within the cable defensive bubble, mm -hmm. is a monster. Yes. Absolute monster. You can get her out of that bubble. She's 
you can take her down. Absolutely, Chris. And I'm glad you mentioned the Spider-Foes player playing against, for instance, something like a, a lore counter with this card. But I'm glad you mentioned that because you're correct. This is after everybody's deployed their units. This is after the first power phase is done. So like you literally know where everyone's deployed. You know how much power everybody has. Now you make a decision which objective I'm putting the trap on. Now, I don't know if this is obvious, Chris, but we haven't mentioned it yet. Say neither player pursues the trap for a long time. You as the spider foes trigger can hurt yourself on this trap. Say you eventually want right. to go claim that point. Well, there's still a trap there. It's still going to go off. It still could hurt you. But I find that such a cool mechanical thing in the game. And, you know, on its worst day, it's shutting down a side of the board for both players. And that was your goal all along. Or it's best day. It's like dazing a model early, you know, and you're not, they're not securing that objective because Chris, you're, it's going to move them short too. And they have to move back to try to interact. So there's a lot going on here and it slows down big threat models too, right? It might slow them down. Absolutely. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot more nuance that's in the card and you just have kind of to play it to learn it. But this wouldn't be a goblin episode without closing out with goblins last card. And Chris, this is one of those cards that when used correctly, this is a good reason to bring Goblin because this can be used outside of affiliation as well. It's called Well-Laid Plans. It's unaffiliated. It's active. So that means any team that Goblin and Dr. Octopus are in, this can be played. Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus may spend three power each to play this card. Very expensive. Roll five dice for each enemy character holding an objective token. Okay, so you play this on high extract missions. The enemy character suffers one damage for each crit and wild result rolled of the five dice. An enemy character damaged in this way drops all objective tokens they are holding. The player playing this card chooses the order in which each enemy character is affected. This is a big brain card. It is. And also could just flip a game, right? Say, Chris, we're playing games. You have three hammers. I have one. I'm going to try to make you drop all three hammers, right? But like on top of that, this could daze characters. It is about them dropping stuff. That's what its number one purpose is. And that's what's going to happen more often. But occasionally you might get a daze off this card. And also, Chris, this is a deterrent for your opponent. Like, do they want to have Black Cat on one life with an objective and knowing you have this card in your five? It presents a lot of questions. And that's what we here at Fury's Finest like doing. I think this card will get you once or twice, and then it'll never get you again. I mean, it'll still get you. Yeah, probably. It'll still get you, but it won't get you. You'll play around it. Yeah, you'll try to play around it. It's that powerful. So it is one of those type of cards like Age of Ultron, Chris, where just its presence in the enemy player's hand is an effect. Changes the game. Yep. And then if you play into it, there's even more effects. So it's a pretty cool innate superpower, is what I'm going to call it, you know, kind of like Age of Ultron. Yes, yes. Where, you know, there's games where I don't touch Ultron at all because the player has Age of Ultron, but essentially they made yeah. me do that by bringing that as one of their five, right? So in a way, they have agency with that Ultron to do whatever they want, essentially, if they want to. So I think this well-laid plans card is similar. And I think it's very cool because it's in any team that green goblin and doc Ock are in. And that's pretty cool. It's not a spider foes only card, but of course you're going to see it more in their team. Oh, absolutely. But I also really like the lore behind that card. Just like, I I just envision explosions and, and metal arms flying everywhere, trying to grab, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's, they evoke a lot of cool cinematic moments with their tactics cards. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, Goblin and Doc Ock always have a plan, right? To flip things around, right? That's what we get. Absolutely. But Chris, we got to close out like we always do with our affiliation talk on this character. He is the leader of the spider foes. Their members are Green Goblin, Carnage, Dr. Octopus, Kingpin, Craven the Hunter, Lizard, Mysterio, and Venom as of the day recording this episode. Really cool team. But like you said, Chris, he's a four threat leader and they have a lot of four threats on their team, a lot of three threats on their team. That's kind of their yes. thing. Four, four and three threats. That's their team. I, I really love the kind of play style that Goblin presents and yeah he's the leader but also you kind of want to just throw him especially when he's on his healthy side you just want to throw him up in it yes like almost immediately absolutely and you've seen that's what i try to do as much as possible right i try to force him to be flipped because at worst my opponent's ignoring him and he's scoring objectives right Or, or he's disrupting objectives Yep. Or at best, they flip him and he no longer does stuff for objectives, but he's ready to, to delete models. Yeah, can absolutely take models just completely off the board very, very quickly. So I have a few questions for you 
on your spider foes. Okay. What shapes does this team kind of prefer? Well, I guess as you construct them, I guess, is what we should preface there, because mm. I'm sure there are other ways to build them out to accommodate other things. But Well, and what's cool about them, Chris, is, you know, the, and we'll have to do this on a further deep dive on the spider foes, but I, they don't mind D shapes, as you and I mentioned earlier, because they have medium movement with medium-sized bases. So that's pretty cool. And obviously something I favor with them a lot is Mutant Madmen, because they all have four physical defense for the most part or higher. That's good. But I actually think, Chris, where you like the spider foes the most, weirdly, is heavy extract missions. M- missions like the cubes, missions like the hammers, missions you know that have a lot of extracts on the map. Not so much spider infected, because they don't like being moved short because that's bad for them, right? Last thing Venom wants is to be moved short away from the battle. But they like a lot of extracts, number one, because well-laid plans. Number two, because they're really tanky characters and they they can hold on to a lot of extracts and score them. And number three, they have a lot of great movement to pick things up around the map and do things like that. So they've been, in my book, an attrition team that's good at defeating enemy models, but they're actually really good at picking up extracts and moving them around the board. So that's kind of the way I play them. And you know, maps just tend to work out pretty well for them, like me and Mad Men, because presumably they can do things like hit and run and stuff and go back and forth between two points and things like that. It's good with, um, you know, medium-sized base, medium movement. It's it's very strong. But I will mention while we're here, Chris, Norman is also affiliated with the Criminal Syndicate, and he's quite a good Criminal Syndicate member, even though we see him less there. Yeah, I hate the Criminal Syndicate, man. <laughs> him counting as two, it forces the enemy to attack him, forces him to get flipped. Yeah, now, now he's not counting for anything. He doesn't have... Criminals don't have a leadership when you're injured, but now he's an attrition monster, right? And he's deleting enemy models, right? By those pivotal points. He's cool, man. I, I, he's a cool criminal. I mean, him and Doc Ock and criminals, I think, are very cool with their well-aid plans card. Just very cool. I agree 100%. Uh, the, the Spider Foes are a just a very appealing team and just full of so many excellent and very cool characters they seem hard to play to me i am intimidated Mm. at the thought of of playing them a lot just because i i know i would get it based on repetition but goblin craven like that's just that's some complicated the list goes on i mean not to mention venom yeah the list goes on for a while actually this is a lot of kind of complicated characters i think what you're hitting on chris is it's their their strength and their weakness is that they're all individualists within this team that well they've said. got synergistic things like well, a lot of them have medium movement with medium-sized bases so they're and with flight and wall crawlers so they're, they're great movement characters outside of mysterio but on top of that they've they all fight differently they all play differently they all have different ways to do things that are subtle control like venom's web pull and then some of the traps we have on goblin and mysterio and things but it's just a whole package man on top of just their basic leadership which is the attrition part but you got to choose at the right time right so i find them right. very cool that they're like this tanky team of tanky characters that are medium-sized bases for the most part with good movement, but they've got bad builder attacks and then they've got a lot of cool things they can do with their power, you know? And that's pretty cool. Like that is a challenge. That That's an intentional design of this team. If they had a big builders, they'd have too much power. They'd be doing tons of like traps, web lines, like glider right. rams, you know, all these things. It's built in for them to not do that until they get flipped. And I think that's intentional because they can just go off and hit harder than their threat if played correctly. And that's pretty cool on top of some tanky characters. Oh, yeah. Big time. They're, they're very unique. And this is a great example, Chris, of one of those things we talked about on the show a lot where people get hung up on leaderships and tack cards. And yeah, leaderships and tack mm-hmm. cards are huge to how an affiliation plays. Absolutely. You're not leaving home without Avengers Assemble, right? That's that's a huge part of playing the Avengers. Yeah. But it's the makeups of these teams. And I think the spider Foes are the best example of this backing us up because they're not a very big team. I mean, they have eight members as of right now. And- Right. They're all threes and fours. Like there's no five. There's no two. There's no nuance of the threat building. So you've got to know them. You got to know how to play them. And the makeup of their team really does matter how they play. Well put. Yeah. But if you like that idea of a tanky team that can hit back really hard when they get power with pretty good movement and a little bit of control sprinkled in, probably a team to check out. And they, they are some of the better sculpts in the game, Chris, just straight up. Oh, 100%. Green Goblin. We got Mysterio. We got Lizard. We got Venom. Carnage. Well, Carnage. Craven. Kingpin is probably the most underwhelming and his sculpt is perfect. I wouldn't change anything about it. It is Kingpin. Do- Doc Ock's original sculpt. Well, of course. 
Of course. But the new one's pretty tight. It's real good. But yeah, that's our Spider-Foes talk for the day. And you know, Chris, maybe we'll do some more Spider-Foes building in the future because I have played them a lot and I look forward to playing them more. Excellent. I look forward to learning how to play against them. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. If you would like to become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Follow the show on social media. Find us on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Fury's Finest. Email us at furiesfinest at gmail.com with any inquiries, ideas, or questions. And leave us reviews on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us out. As Chris mentioned before, Spotify now has an option to leave reviews. That's huge for us because we know a lot of you guys listen on Spotify and a lot of listeners out there listen on Spotify. So if you could leave us a review on Spotify, in addition to those of you out there leaving us on Apple Podcasts or other platforms, it would really help us out. And like Jesse said, please rate, review, and subscribe. Help spread the word about the show. You can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, where I tweet. That's true. Well, Chris, this was a fun series. These spider foes, we made it through. It was spread out over a longer time than we intended because, you know, big MCU things, holidays, big changes of the MCP. We had no idea were coming, like the full 2.0. Big ones. So the spider foes kind of got spread out, but we've gotten a lot of good feedback from you guys at home saying you really enjoyed this series and you've been listening to these episodes, digging into them. So we really appreciate it because Chris and I had a discussion before this series that we were going to start doing more that we could for lore and strategy, quite frankly, for these characters. And I feel like now we have such a good grasp on the game and the life cycle of the game, Chris, that we can approach these episodes in a more robust way like we have been than early on, you know, where it was just like, we're giving you all the lore we can give you. We're giving all the strategy we can give you. Yep. We're still doing that, but things have changed, right? The game has evolved. Well, we're we're able to refine what information, you know, boil every down everything down yep. to a nice juicy broth. And uh, just delicious, you know, just absolutely delicious. Delicious. That's true. But yeah, yeah, we're we're able to refine everything and tailor it more towards, you know, where the game is and where it's going. We get we have a better handle on, you know, how Atomic Mass does things. So, yeah, I'm glad that the spider foes happened now. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And that was intentional, Chris, that we just decided to put Goblin off because there was no other spider foes outside of Doc Ock yet. We we did him in our early days of the core sets. So we just thought it was appropriate to wait until we had them all together. So we hope you guys have enjoyed these like tight together where you can kind of listen to them in tandem and get a feel for the Stay team. Stay in as a the headspace. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we dive deep in a lot of these characters. I mean, case in point, Carnage, that, that was a big episode. So mm-hmm. We hope you guys have enjoyed this, and we hope you're as excited as we are for our next series, so stay tuned for what that's going to be when it comes to characters, but you know, Chris, I'm excited just that we're back in the news, we're back into the the flow of hopefully the the shipping crisis has kind of resolved some, and the game's in a good spot, man, the MCU's in a good spot, and I'm looking forward to more episodes with you on Fury's Finest. Oh, man. I'm really looking forward to mini Stravaganza 3. Yes. Just... <laughs> I love I love that event. It really just sets the, I say it every time, but it sets the tone for the next, you know, year of releases and and builds that hype and they're so good at building hype is Atomic Mass. So, yeah man, I'm I'm excited not to mention, you know, what's going to come down the pipe for Legion and 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 you know, whatever else, X-Wing, you know, everything else they've got going on right now. Couldn't agree more, man, but until next time, thanks for listening, true believers. Excelsior. has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 